from my experience, I don't normally enjoy speakers that wear these half glasses. Well, guess what? If I didn't wear them, it would be difficult to see. I was told that because of daylight savings time, I could preach an extra hour. Praise the Lord. Shall, do we need to vote on that? I thought just to begin with, um, some of you may not know me and, and my wife Nancy. Some of you do, and, and that's been enjoyable, and we will continue to get to know each of you, I believe. So I thought I'd tell you about ourselves just a little bit as part of the message. Nancy and I met in church in February of 1962 in Denver, Colorado. Her dad uh, is, a, is a minister, or was a minister, he's passed away now. And he was preaching at a church there in, uh, in the community. And we had just moved there. Uh, my mom got out the yellow pages and looked for a Christian church. And she found that one and called it. And her, Nancy's dad gave all the right answers. And she said, we'll see you Sunday. So I walked into church. I was a very, very mature 15-year-old. <laughs> but Nancy was not so mature. She was 14. And I was stricken. And next month, we will have been married 58 years. So That's been a long 58 years. <laughs> if you stop and think about it, 2 times 58 is 116. We're halfway there. In 1964, her family moved from Denver to the... Kaimishi Mountains in Oklahoma to work with the Kaimishi Mission Christian, Kaimishi Mountains Christian Mission. And that is the same mission where Mark's dad is ministering even now. I moved back to Texas by then, and Nancy and I met up. We were, in mileage-wise, much closer to each other then. And later on uh, in that next year, we both enrolled at Johnson Bible College out in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's where her father graduated. And during that school year, we married, and we uh, were able to be together uh, in 1965. We married in, in December of 65, Christmas Eve. Don't ever do that. <laughs> you don't get Christmas presents. You don't get anniversary presents. But yet, shortly thereafter, I got a draft notice. Anybody in here not know what the draft is? It's where, the, it's where the government, the military, has a great need, and they don't have enough volunteers. They give out numbers, and it's like a lottery, and my number was 186. So I would have been drafted in the 186th day of 1965. Uh, I'm sorry, 66. And so being a wise man, I didn't want to be on the ground like the Marines. I didn't want to be first in, last out. I didn't want to be what we called a grunt. I wanted to be, fly there, land, let off your cargo, and take off and go back. So I joined the Air Force. And after being trained as a flight mechanic, I was assigned to Turkey. And Nancy and I spent two years in Turkey, living in Adana, Turkey, uh, which was just about uh, 20, 22 miles from uh, the Apostle Paul's birthplace of Tarsus. And then following that assignment, we spent our last two years in California. 
Uh, we have two grown sons, one living here in McKinney and another one living in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, they've both been married for quite some time, and we have 10 grandchildren and one great-granddaughter. She'll be one next month, and we got a video last night of her learning to walk. Uh, our oldest grandchild is 29, and she's a police officer in Little Elm. We have the uh, Air Force to thank for a lot of the experiences that we've had, and there hopefully will be more. Following the Air Force and my discharge in 1970, uh, eventually there, I became a police officer in Garland. And after 25 years, I retired as a detective lieutenant in the burglary division. We sold our Garland home when I retired, and we moved up near the Kaimishi Mountain Christian Mission. And we also, Nancy's dad being there preaching, we went to church where he was preaching. We had a, a, a good uh, lifetime experience there as well. When I retired uh, from that, we sold our home, bought a travel trailer and a pickup, and we spent five years on the road, uh, and that was fun. Uh, I would recommend that if you can. Well, in 2016, uh, we, I think it was 2015, we stopped traveling, and I ministered for a short time again with the church there uh, in Muse, Oklahoma, which is one of those uh, mission churches. But my son came up, and we experienced, I experienced some, some serious uh, health issues. And our son, the oldest son, says, well, you're moving back to Texas, closer to me. And I said, okay, we'll do it. So we moved to Argyle, and he come up one day, and he said, I need to get out of this rat race of Argyle. And he said, I'm thinking about going east. So here we are, and he lives here in McKinney, and we live just uh, southeast of here in, in Fairview. We appreciate that, but after COVID and after the quarantine, we felt a loss at watching worship services over the internet online. There's a lot that you can get from it, but there's a lot that you miss. And so we together thought that we needed to find a church home, and I believe the Lord has led us here. He did not make a mistake. We have been warmly welcomed, and we intend to be of service uh, to whatever extent we're able while we're here. Anybody in here ever have your mom or your dad or a, a, an aunt or somebody tell you that you are what you eat? Yeah. There's a little story that Nancy and I are aware of. Our first, our, our granddaughter, uh, the oldest one, she loved sweet potatoes or yams, whatever they were called. And so that's what she ate a lot of. So you bought extra yams and then you bought maybe one or two of the green vegetables. But we started noticing after a while that her nose started turning red. The sweet potatoes had colored the end of her nose to the color of the inside of a sweet potato. She was what she ate. <laughs> if you eat nothing but donuts, and please forgive me, but the majority of police officers do not even eat donuts. <laughs> the ones you see on TV on the 6 o'clock news probably do, but most of them do not. But if you ate nothing but donuts, you'd look like a donut. If you ate nothing but cauliflower, you'd be short on maybe uh, uh, some of the vitamins that you need in life, maybe short of protein, I'm not sure. But if you ate nothing but ribeye steaks, you'd have a lot of protein 
but not a lot of the vitamins and minerals. So we are what we eat, regardless of what it is. I'd like to quote Matt Proctor, who is the president of Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, in their summer of 19, uh, uh, 2018 uh, newsletter or magazine, The Ambassador. And he said, what you feed your mind will shape what you become. Now that sounds uh, right at the very beginning. It sounds a little bit difficult to uh, just outward to say that. But whatever you feed your mind is going to come out in your character and in your person. In Ezekiel chapter 3, 3, Old Testament, Then the Spirit of God said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted sweet as honey in my mouth. Now that was literal there. Talking about being we are what we're fed in, in some scripture, it is a different type of metaphor. So I don't think that I could possibly be exhaustive in the number of instances in the, in the Bible, in Old Testament and New Testament, of the times that consuming or eating something is equated with what we are or what we become. But they'd be too numerous to count. I've only got a few of them today. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Interesting. Jeremiah 15, 16. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. You know, there's an old proverb that says, sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. It has to do with what we feed our minds that determines our destiny. There's a story of a, of a young girl that was watching TV, working on her phone or whatever, and uh, sometimes the internet's worse than TV, sometimes not. So her mother began fixing the salad for supper. And in the salad, she put all the stems, all the peelings, uh, all of the broken uh, seeds or something, and maybe even a little bit of cellophane and uh, scotch tape or something in the salad. And the daughter walked in while she was doing that, and she said, Mom, what are you doing? She said, well, I saw you watching that garbage. I didn't think you'd mind. So it's not too far for us to imagine that garbage in and garbage out. Computer people, you, you've said that for years, uh, ever since there have been computers. Garbage in, garbage out. Luke chapter 2, verse uh, I'm just going to go 51 and 52, those two verses. After Jesus was found at the temple, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. It doesn't say that he was consuming his father's character. But I think he was. And I think that metaphor could be translated to include Jesus. Well, the wisdom that Jesus became, that's intellect, knowledge, and knowing about his father. The stature was physical health, mental health, maybe even social health. health. In favor with God, praise and honor. And in favor with men, family, friends, other peers. I think Jesus was consumed 
by what his father was able to share with him. But Jesus was God, totally God, and at the same time, totally man. I don't understand that. How can he be totally God and totally man? But he was. But he learned from his father as well. Now let's go to the New Testament for some of those other um, metaphors. I'd like to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to turn with it uh, with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're supposed to be turning so that I can take my time. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. The Apostle Paul was telling them that your immaturity level dictates uh, pablum or milk or formula. Now, in our case, what would that mean? We need to quit talking about some of the, the more uh, simple facts of the gospel. We need to talk about the meat of the gospel so that we might grow from the gospel, consuming the better things, not forgetting the, the minor things, if there are such things, but, but moving on to meat instead of milk. Let's turn to Hebrews 5. That was one of the readings today. Hebrews 5, I'm going to start reading in uh, verses 11 to 14. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, it is, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And while you're there at those pages, just briefly look over to the uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 4. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I think it would be good if you could write this down. It's uh, verses 4 through 6. I'm just going to read, though, a couple. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift. Now, when you taste something, do you just touch it to your tongue? Not really. You, you want to get it into your mouth so that God's creation and creativity in uh, designing our tongue can savor what's there. Bologna tastes different than ribeye. I like ribeye. <laughs> every once in a while, every once a year at least. But we, when we want to taste something, we want all of it, or a, a, at least enough of it to strengthen us and make our physical body, and now our spiritual body, sound and healthy. I want to go to chapter uh, 2 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2. And I'm going to read uh, just the first two verses. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it 
you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We've tasted that the Lord is good. Um, does anyone in here not like a donut? I mean, we all like it, don't we? We like sweets sometimes. We like the flavor of meats. You've got your favorites. We enjoy taste. Apparently, this metaphor by the Holy Spirit's instruction was written by, by Peter, some uh, written by Paul, letting us know that we cannot afford to stay infants. We have to grow. And to grow, we need the solid food of the Scripture. We need to be uh, in submission, and we need to be obedient. One of the difficulties I think that exists, and Mark alluded to it a couple weeks back, this nation is completely saturated with biblical illiteracy. Years ago, our oldest son was riding in a car and, uh, with his children. And shortly after coming over, I think he went to his mother and said, Mom, Kara doesn't even know those basic Bible stories. She doesn't know about you know, the, the Tower of Babel. She doesn't know about uh, this story or that story. She didn't know about the story about the prodigal son. And you know what my wife probably said to him? I wasn't there, but I believe she said it. Son, that's your responsibility. It's the dad's responsibility in Scripture. Uh, he, he has a helper to do this. Feed your children Scripture. Feed your children Jesus Christ in portions. I think sometimes we have failed as men, myself included, in not having taught our children sufficiently or at all. Matt Proctor, again, the president of Ozark Christian, he has said, in the last few decades, young people have had their beliefs shaped by entertainers, journalists, advertising, YouTube, Facebook, friends, and peers. Now, he didn't say good or bad, but in a world that's biblically illiterate, and quite frankly, probably, um, it's not going to come back or it's not going to right itself quickly. But that, is, that uh, changes maybe their worldview. Um, a worldview to me is how you view uh, whatever is in existence in our nation, in your home, in your state, in your family. Your worldview if it's based upon what this uh, group was learning, then it may be skewed toward immorality and pleasure and doing their own thing and humanistic uh, efforts. But a worldview that includes Jesus Christ is a biblical worldview. And the only way you're going to get a biblical worldview, how would you think that would be? To consume more. And I don't mean just read the scriptures. We need to taste it. Once you've been enlightened and once you've tasted of God's heavenly gift, if you turn away then, it's going to be real tough to bring you back to God. There was a recent Washington Post article, and it showed that nearly half of young evangelicals born after 1964, pardon my voice, I lost it last night talking to a friend 
and uh, it's coming back on me. This, night, this uh, evangelical report was after 1964, the evangelical younger generation favored gay marriage compared with 26% of the older evangelicals of the same time. And I have down here, what? The world is failing to follow scriptural mandates. First, we need to be feeding on what the Bible says on marriage, human sexuality, living together before marriage, men's roles, women's roles, children's roles. What did Jesus do when they went back to Nazareth? He obeyed. Have you seen a family with children that are completely out of control? I have, and there might have been times when ours were, but hopefully it was temporary. Did you say Spurgeon was a friend of yours? Yeah. You went to college together. Yeah. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century preacher. I got a quote from him. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life is not. Now, I would like for that to be said about me and my wife. If our life is not falling apart, it's not because of our Efforts is because of God. And I praise the Lord that we have been Christians way before we got married and since we got married. Colossians 3.17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and when it does, your character will change. The will of God living in your life cannot just be static. It has to have a result and it will. Matt Proctor again, I like him. He's president of Ozark Christian. He said, we must consume healthy portions of Scripture, get it into our bloodstreams so that it metabolizes into moral muscle fiber, to goodness, joy, courage, patience, and wisdom, and the wisdom to transform our lives. Anybody familiar just by thinking without looking? Romans 12, chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the world. Consume some Scripture and change your mind. Don't conform to something that is not worthy of your conformation. Chew on some scripture. Understand what God wants from you. The Bible guides our ministry. How you see the world. It's pretty important. You want to know godly leadership? Eat some Nehemiah. You want to know how to manage your money, your income? Read some Proverbs and taste them. You want to know more about life? Read Ecclesiastes and savor that. You want to know how to deal with a difficult person? Chew on Daniel for a while. Get his flavor. You want to know romance and tenderness for your marriage? Read the Song of Songs, known also as the Song of Solomon. You want to know how to pray better? Go to the Psalms and feast. You want to know Christian maturity? Read Romans six times. If you haven't read it once, you're missing a bunch. It's one of my favorite books. Sometimes it puts me to shame. 
You want to know about perseverance? Chew on some Hebrew, the Hebrews. Want to know how to have joy in difficulty? Taste Philippians. Taste Galatians. You want to know how you can get more blessings? Sit down to a table and feast on John's revelation that the Holy Spirit gave him. You talk about joy and blessings. Uh, I was speaking to a man on the phone last night. That's why my voice is rattly. And he just was trying. He said, I really want to be able to be, uh, I forgot the word he used, I want to be uh, totally familiar with and understand the, John's revelation in the back of the and I said, Steve, that's not going to happen. You're going to get a bunch of it, and you're going to understand some of it. And if you feast on it, you're going to have a, a real healthy meal. But he can't strive to understand John's revelation. Uh, it, it is difficult at times. But if you want to know some blessings, the bottom line is we win. The bottom line is that there are things that we can do to draw closer to God. We've been given the role of being uh, salt in a rotting society. I don't know about you, but I can't eat an egg without salt on it. I'm, well, I, that's not true. I could. I don't want to. Anybody eat popcorn with no salt? But I think maybe we are missing the mark if we don't realize that we are salt to the earth. In a, in a sense of a metaphor, we're the ones that might preserve this world if we would, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if you will repent and call on the Lord, turn from your wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will what? Heal your land. We haven't been salt. Maybe that's why the world is falling apart. However, your family doesn't need to be falling apart. You don't need to be falling apart. You need to be the salt of the earth, and that starts with your family. I think it's important that we realize that salt is a preservative. Do we know enough of the Bible stories? When I say story, I'm talking whether it's a, a parable or in reality what happened. Like Jesus at age 12 teaching and, and learning in the temple. That's a real story. The prodigal son is a parable. But we can consume parts of those and we can grow spiritually, no longer needing milk. Do you know the story of Adam and Eve? What does it mean? How about the fall of man as a result of that? Well, why is that important to us? How about Cain and Abel? How, why was the, the murder conducted? How about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his blood? How about the history of the early church? How about the history of the gospel? One that's easy to understand is the Good Samaritan. Why is that story important? Were you aware that the Samaritans and the Jews were uh, against each other? They were fighting all the time. But yet, the priest passed by, the man on the, that was injured, and even the, the godly people passing by. But here come a Samaritan, an enemy, and stopped to give help. 
Which one was feasting on God's Word? Do you know the greatest of these is love chapter? 1 Corinthians 13. I gave you the, the uh, Romans 12. You know where the, uh, the blessings uh, of the fruit of the Spirit are located? Galatians chapter 5. How about heaven and hell? Do you really know the concepts? Have you tasted enough to know that there really is a hell and there really is a heaven? Well, I can stand in front of you today and because I've had just enough to savor my thoughts, I don't want to go to hell. And I'm not. And you can be just as certain as well. The Bible strengthens our soul, our very fiber. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Boy, if we don't have hope, then what are we doing here? All of these can steal our joy if it hasn't become part of our muscle, part of our muscle fiber. It's hard to find joy when you're weak spiritually. Almost impossible. When we're spiritually weak, speaking a weak and feeble witness for the Lord in a dying and hungry world, we become that 100th sheep. We might become lost, and he's got to come and find us. We need spiritual adrenaline. To me, adrenaline is, is a, a lifter up or a, a quick boost. Well, we can get a boost in the Scripture. It doesn't have to be from coffee. This, this next metaphor you're familiar with, Jesus said in John 6, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of his relationship with the Father. Now, I do not believe in transubstantiation, and what that is, is there are believers that, that once that uh, cracker comes to your lips, that in some miraculous way, they believe that it becomes real flesh. And uh, the, the juice, the fruit of the vine that comes your way, uh, really does become blood somehow in a miraculous way. I, I don't think that that metaphor is good. I, I think it's as Jesus taught. He's saying that this is real. If you consume me, his character, his stand for, for life eternal, then we will be blessed and we will be real. So I think maybe you are what you eat. And today when you go home and you have a meal, that's not the eating that we're talking of, is it? But you might think of it when you sit down. Sometimes people give an offering of thanks to God when they sit down to have a meal. And when you do that, thank you, Lord. May I consume you as well as uh, this salad. May I become as filled with you as I'm being filled with this meal. It's a miracle. Have you been feasting on the right thing? That's up to you. 
it's never too late to change your diet. You can have a diet that's poor, and you can change it. Will the results be immediate? Well, maybe some small results. Most of us would not reduce ourselves to eating nothing but popcorn. Most of us would not result in eating nothing but uh, fats. Most of us could probably get by, but we wouldn't just eat meatloaf day after day after day after day. God wants us to move on and change your diet. Take in what the scripture has to say about him and live. I really think that it, maybe it's a little silly to talk about you are what you eat. But why then is the scripture full of those references to consuming God? You may not be a Christian. You may not have any idea what we're talking about. But if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he died and was resurrected, if he'd stayed in the grave, I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I'd be, but I wouldn't be here. But I tasted of Jesus early on. And I grew and I got stronger. And I got stronger just like you will and you have. So bear in mind, you are what you eat. If you want to be a member of the church and you're not yet, I think this is the time that is offered for that. But I want you most of all, and I want me most of all, to know what it means to taste of the Holy Spirit and what uh, he wants to impart to me, and that's hope. So this is the time to make that decision. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the meal. I thank you for the communion service that tells us what we are and what we become when we taste of you. I pray, Lord, that today each of us will continue to savor your word and to learn more about what it means to consume Jesus Christ and what the hope that results is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll, I'll be down right here if you have anything you'd like to pray about or uh, speak with one of you about. Um, I want to get to know all of you in due time. And I want you to know that I'm nothing but a beggar helping share where you can find a loaf of bread. Another beggar. <laughs>